right, ladies and gentlemen, how y'all doing? Another good Monday evening, doing our thing here, War Media, and got a good friend and a couple good friends with me, one new and one not so new. Uh, Drew is back on the scene after a week off, and uh, we'll catch up with him in a minute. But uh, as you can see up in the in the corner next to me is uh, Mr. Alex Shapiro. Of uh, a new colleague of mine with uh, NBC Sports Chicago, you see, he's he's been there long enough to get the swag, so he's got he's got the sweater on, so he can always rep corporately. I see how I see how long it takes for me to get one of those, but uh, you'll get some right now. I'm just we gotta we gotta get you a backpack. We gotta get you the the water bottles. Nice. Don't worry, we'll get you some stuff. Well, yeah, I gotta get into the damn office first, man. I haven't even been in the office. I've worked. A month and a half. Ain't been in the office yet, but that's the world we live in. So, mm-hmm. but I'm I'm just like I said, I'm just glad to have a job. I'm just glad to have a job that allows me to get a haircut. Uh, <laughs> was and it's a good to. looking haircut too. That's a good Thank looking you. haircut. Yeah, shout out to shout out to my guy Sean on Fifty Fifth man. He hooked me up. And uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just uh, glad to survive the holiday. I'm, I'm sure you guys uh, had a good holiday as well. Uh, Drew, I, I, I know on the the text over the weekend you said you were down in, in Marion, man. You had, you made the trip all the way to Southern Illinois. Yeah, so my sister she graduated from um, SIU Carbondale like '95 and never came back. So she's been down in Marion since then, um, and ever since she's had her son and her daughter, we've kind of made trips there when we can uh for thanksgiving uh so yeah man my my son and i me and my six-year-old son we took the took the drive down there and back man i know i'm getting old because those drives man like it hurts it physically hurts to sit in the car for four and a half hours straight ain't ain't like doing it with you 19 man no it's it's not man it's not i I really need to i need i need to get into some more stretching Critical, yo, as a thirty plus year old, stretching critical, critical. Change my life. I'm not even kidding. And I hope, change my life. I hope you're sitting in a car too that that allows you to have some room. With you know, you pretty tall dude. Yeah, so I was in a Jeep Patriot. I mean, it's not you know, it, mm. it's not a Prius, but it's not. I don't know. It, it, it wasn't stretched out. Probably to the maximum capacity, but it was all right, man. It's just, it's just my back and my legs get tight, and knees are screaming by the end of it. I just dying to get out of the car and stand up. So, but to your point, Alex, yeah, stretching is, oh my god, <laughs> you got to, you have to do it, man. At least a couple times a week, man. If anything, <laughs> Alex, man, how about your holiday, man? You you steady pumping out Bears content. We're gonna talk to you about the Bears in in a minute here, but. You, yeah, I, I talked to you on the holiday because I worked on yeah. the holiday. That's true. We, took, were, we were collaborating, yeah. man. We were doing our best Bears impression collaborating <laughs> on our NBC Sports <laughs> Chicago content. So, yeah, I covered yeah. the team. Um, fortunate enough to cover the team and mm-hmm. also was able to catch about the last hour, 45 minutes of my family's dinner. So that was really nice. Drove out to the Burbs. Um, they had a plate of food re- waiting for me. So that was really nice. And um, I guess I got to... I got I got to cover my bears and eat my turkey too. It was like a really lame, really lame <laughs> joke about having my cake and eating it too. But that's what it was. Yeah. You know, I got to work. I got to eat dinner. It was nice. Cool. I mean, yeah, I don't know what type of blessing the bears are on Thanksgiving, but 
I was running errands while the game was on. So I, I mostly listened to the game on radio because I had to get back home. I just got back home in time to start work because I had to start at two. And uh, no, that was about, so it was like the last half hour of the game. Mm-hmm. I saw that. So I saw the end of it. And, you know, I was prepared to see them lose, but then they, they had that final drive and made the, you know, got the kick and everything. And, you know, it's, you know, uh, I've, you know, it's it's the Bears are the Bears, and, and I'm trying to think of that that saying, uh, you know, thank heaven for small miracles or something like that. But, <laughs> but that's pretty much where the where the Bears are as far thank as thank heaven you know, for Cairo Santos. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. That's yeah, because well, he's he's, he's, he's won a couple games for the Bears. <laughs> And Drew's you know, well, he said, Drew's got it right. Thank, thank goodness for the Detroit Lions. <laughs> yeah, really, right. Where it's at. Yeah, they're, they're before the grace of God goes the Bears. And you know, we <laughs> we look at the Lions and how sorry they are, and how they always provide a little bit of perspective when it comes to our uh, our nagging of the Bears. But you, know, the last week was a this past week has been wild. You look at the last seven days; it starts with this this report dropping out of the sky from, you know, Mark Conkle, a guy who, you know, has very, you know, he has a reputation on both sides of uh, the fence here in Chicago with journalism. He's a, a Pulitzer Prize guy, but he's working at Patch now. So, you know, you kind of take a, you know, <laughs> take a both sides of the, of, you know, anyway, anyway you know, he, he, he drops this report. It says that uh, Nagy is out the door. Essentially, he's going to be fired on Friday uh, this week after the game, Friday, whatever, whatever the timeline is going to be. Mm-hmm. That we know it, it, it eventually that becomes disputed by the Bears. Nagy comes out says they true. George McCaskey, but you know, in your opinion, you're a guy who covers the team every day. You're at House Hall every day. You know, starting with that. I want I want to get someone on this week who both covers the Bears and is in tune with you know the machinations there and stuff. So mm-hmm. I'm glad to have you on just for that. But and, and also just being a reporter, period. What what is your what was your take on how that all played out? And it was surprising to me that you know a story like that would have got completely past the Bears. Uh, media, you know, media in general, all the guy, all, a lot of great reporters in the Bears press, uh, local press, and no, for nobody to have got that mm-hmm. who regularly covers the team and fit to go to Conkers, you know, as, as good a reporter as he may be, it just was surprising to me. But you know, in your opinion, just starting off, what was your what was your take on how that all developed, and do you think that at a certain point the Bears might have? been leaning towards making that decision on Nagy th- that pa- this past week or were they, you know, uh, or, or was he just uh BS in this uh, sort of play? Sure. So I'll start with this. When I read the, po- the report, it was obviously like, Whoa, this is something. <laughs> Who is this guy? Who is this guy? Right. Um, and then you look into him, and as you mentioned, one of the first things you see is he's a Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter. So I go, well, I don't have any reason not to believe this report, even though a lot of the details were fishy. 
the fact that they would tell Matt Nagy on Monday that he's going to be fired on Friday, but he's got to coach one extra game, that that just seemed weird. So I'm trying to piece it all together and not piece it together really, but work through it and see, does this make sense? And I think what I landed on is it it feels like where there's smoke, there's fire. I I talked about this with uh, cap on the rush. I don't know if you guys watched the rush Um, that day. We, we talked about it. That seems something like the truth might be somewhere in the middle. And I totally would believe if the bears had discussed firing Matt Nagy, and if they had lost that game, then maybe he's out of there. But it didn't seem to make sense, really, to tell a coach, hey, by the way, you're fired, but you've got to coach one more game. That just, to me, to me, that part, that detail stuck out. So I was kind of like, this is fishy, but it also might be based in some sort of reality. Um, and Conkle came out and essentially said, was I bamboozled? Did they change their minds? I don't know what happened, but he stood by his initial report. Um, and what I would imagine if we're, if we're now taking the step backwards, um, and this is something that now the bears players have confirmed, right? They've talked about George McCaskey coming and talking to the team to refute it when they refuted it before we get too ahead of ourselves. I'll, I'll take the next step. When Matt Nagy refuted it, when Bill Lazor refuted it, and all it, pretty much everybody in a row came up and denied it and essentially said it was ridiculous. That is when it, it seemed like they weren't talking like people who were like, oh, yeah, our coach did just get fired, but we're going to keep the company line. You know, like you can kind of tell when they're talking like, ooh, yeah, maybe they're just saying these things because they can't say he has been fired. It seemed like they were genuinely dismissive of that stuff. So that also kind of rang true for me in a way, right? The fact that they were all, I mean, Bill Lazor, essentially, he told a story. He's like, yo, I've had reports break saying a coach was going to be fired and he ended up getting a two-year extension. So I've been through this and this, that, and the other thing. All the players were like, the reports that Nagy's lost the locker room are not true. We are like, we're still together. We're with this guy. We believe in him. So all of that, hearing all of that, and like in quick succession, made it seem like, yeah, I don't think he actually has been told he's been fired. Um, but again, I would believe that maybe George McCaskey said he's not going to be fired uh, on Friday or on Monday, but we're not saying his job's safe. And obviously things got to turn around in a big way for him to be retained. Um, and that is probably where I imagine, again, this is, this is speculation. This is speculation, but that is where I would imagine things stand today. I would imagine that if Matt Nagy wants to keep his job, the bears got to like probably win out and make the playoffs <laughs> um, or play much, 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 much better than they are right now i would wager and again this is speculation i would wager also based on what george mccaskey and ryan pace said at the beginning of the year they needed to see progress and progress was winning games where if the season ended today i don't think matt Nagy would be back i don't think he'd be back to be the head coach of the chicago bears if the season ended today but there's six games left and a lot can happen in six games um and talking about today now the bears today 
that, that is a different locker room. Those are different players, different morale today after one win. Because now they're like, we beat the Cardinals. All of a sudden, everything's different, right? They're four and seven. And yes, they are technically one game out of the playoffs, even though they're buried in 14th place, right? There's a lot of teams in that four and seven, five and six range, right? No matter what happens between the Washington football team and the Seahawks today, a five and six team is going to be the seventh seed. So I think they're like, we haven't been eliminated yet. Until it's we're eliminated. Up, yeah. it, it is amazing. <laughs> I, I say it's amazing how bunched up the, the, the NFC is. And, you know, you, you like you say, their team, it seems like their team that they, they, they strike, they, they take the, the cue of, of Nagy. And Nagy has this sort of, uh, you know, can do attitude about him that, you know, it, when, when you're doing good, it's great. To see your coach have that too, but when you're sucking or playing mediocre, it's like, but what are you so positive about, dude? It's like you know, it's annoying. But like you say, they are a game out of the of the seventh seed. The seventh seed is doing. I was an, I was annoying some of uh some people earlier in text, you know, including that guy Ken Davis. Like I was like, hey, you know, their game out. You know, I'm, I'm sure they're thinking up there in Hallis Hall, like, oh, you know, we got a chance. And no, nobody wants to think that, you know, no, nobody, everybody wants this, the rest of this season to be simply about building up fields mm-hmm. and looking towards the future. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm look from, from what I read of this team and what I've known and following them, I think, I think more people than we would like are up there thinking like, yeah, like you say, we beat the Cardinals. We you know we, we got a chance to do something here. And and you wrote a good piece today, of course, about you know them not playing the what, not saying what if. Uh, mm-hmm. It's available now on on uh, NBC Sports Chicago, uh, and that's more that's more in in looking at the past games, and you know that's something that uh, it's understandable if you're a football player or a coach why you wouldn't look backwards. You got to stay looking forwards. As fans, we could do that though, and when you look at games like. The pit, uh, the Pittsburgh game, the Baltimore game, the uh, so uh, the 49ers the, game in there, the San Francisco game. Like, you win those three games, you know, you're completely you're you're not you're better than seventh, you're square oh, yeah. in the playoff in the playoff race, and that seems to be that to me, that's gonna seem to be the the most damning thing about uh, Nagy's run here. All the the, the could have been and should have been scenarios, the close games that they lost, the the games that made the that could have broken up these long extra long losing streaks that they that they seem to get themselves in every year, and you know without those those you know those precipitous plunges throughout each year, they could have been a much better contender each year throughout oh, yeah. his throughout his run than they have been and instead of trying to back into the playoffs and have, have, have him sitting on this hot seat every year. But, you know, he just, I don't don't know, for whatever reason, they just haven't put it together in the way that we would want them to each year. And that's left him in this precarious position where he, yeah, like you say, he's, unless they went out there, seemingly their job is on the line. I mean, I mean, he's, his job is, his is on the line and, Unfortunately, their next two games are against the top two teams in the conference. So, 
<laughs> I no, we we all you know we we cover the team. We wish the best for the team, but you know it'd be hard for me to see them beating uh, uh, Arizona and Green Bay in the next two weeks. And, but it didn't have to be this way. It just it just didn't. If you if you won, especially if you won simply those last two games prior to the Detroit game. You know, it's a whole different situation. They're sitting pretty. If they win those last two games, they're sitting pretty. Instead of like, it's almost best case scenario five and eight. Obviously, best case scenario is they win both games, but it it doesn't feel like that. It feels like the best case scenario is maybe they win one of those games. Maybe Kyler Murray is still hurt. Maybe Aaron Rodgers' toe thing gets worse. Right? I mean, because it just seems like the way things are. Winning both of those games seems like a tall order. But again, this is us. We're outsiders. And in that locker room, it is clear that they still believe. Tashawn Gibson. Tashawn Gibson had one of the um, press conferences that really I thought was the most telling. When he was like, yo, I've been on a lot of bad teams. Played for the Browns. He was on the Texans when the Texans were actually pretty good. But he's like, I've seen some bad locker rooms. I've seen some clown shows. These are my words. I'm saying, I'm saying bad locker rooms. I'm saying clown shows. But he was, he was like, I've been on bad teams, and I've seen when things get out of hand. And this is not that. The Bears are not that yet. Um, I think they're frustrated more than anything. I think they're frustrated because they believe they are a much better team than they've shown than they have shown uh, up to this point. And they haven't. They they've lost. So I think it's more frustration than anything. That's the sense I get. It is. I mean. I, that's one of the things that I I do admire about Nagy is that he hasn't ever seen to have lost the locker room, um, even in these last three seasons when they've gone on five plus game losing streaks. Um, everybody still seems to be um, together. I, I do admire that about his leadership. I guess you want to call it if you want to associate that word with it. Um, but still, it's just it. it from afar, it just seems like a breakup is the best way to go about this. You, you know, you got fire naggy chance at what, what was the Suns football game? Like, I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's crazy, man. Like, I just, yeah. I just think, you know, Nagy needs to go his separate ways. The Bears need to find somebody. It, there needs to be like a, just a restructuring in general that I don't know is going to ever happen. But it just feels that feels like no matter what happens in these next six, six games, like. Have we seen enough to this point to think that Nagy is the best man to get Justin Fields where we all believe he can be? Number one, um, yep. do we believe that Pace can put the guys in place that need to be around Justin Fields for Justin Fields to, to accomplish what it is we think he can do? And I just don't know that we have, you know, there's, there's enough reasonable doubt there for those two guys to maintain their positions with the team. And I don't know well, if the, Maybe leadership is looking at that new rule with the NFL where I think it is if you are firing your coach or you tell the coach, you know, he's going to be fired, that um, you can interview guys with it. What is it, last two weeks of the season? I don't know if maybe they're looking into that, but something needs to happen. Somebody <laughs> somebody has to has to go. And I hate to say that because I don't want anybody to lose their job, but um, if the Bears are going to actually progress and get better and take steps to being a more – um, respectable franchise and formidable team changes need to be made. Yeah, and Drew, you you mentioned pace, and really we should in, in all in all of these conversations we should 
always, I think, mention Pace because he, he did so much to get us into this situation as well. And but but he he's just he's sort of allowed himself to just be this man in the shadows, and he's he's not nearly as dissected publicly as you know Nagy is. That, that's of course you, you know you you talk about a coach versus a general manager. That's always going to be the case, but at the same time, you know so many of the issues that we know to, about this team are they stem from the way it was built and the way that certain positions have been lacking in the way that they've been attended to via either the draft or free agency. Uh, and, you know, this is pace, like say pay a lot can be, that can be diagnosed in regards to the way that pace has built the team. And, and when we talk about what ails the bears and, and with that said, you know, Alex, before we let you go, I want to get your opinion on just what is his, what do you think his standing may be? In regards to all this, could this be a complete, uh, you know, sweeping of the house if Nagy doesn't do enough to secure his position, or you know, there's been talk too about maybe just a restructuring of the front office where Pace is not let go, but he's moved to another place, and Phillips has maybe moved, and you know, you know, you're just you're dealing with the switching of of nameplates at that point. But uh, you know, what, what do you think about? you know, the position that Pace is in and what do you think he sort of deserves after his performance? Because it's not, it's been mostly inglorious. You know, we you date back to what happened with, you know, in 2017 with the, you know, his decision at quarterback there and what has led to the, the, rep, you know, the repercussions there for years. And, you know, now we're, we, you know, uh, what is like a, Two years, like two or seven years or whatever, they they made the playoffs for two or seven years mm-hmm. that he's been running the team. That's not a good good record. It's all fair criticism, um, but I like to remind folks what the Bears looked like when Ryan Pace took over. They were an embarrassment. I mean, it was that franchise was in shambles by the time Mark Tressman and Phil Emery were gone. He he built it back off from practically nothing from the defense. And I, I mean, the criticism is fair in terms of positions he hasn't addressed properly. Offensive line has, has been glaring, although looks better with Larry Borum as a fifth round draft pick. We don't know what Tevin Jenkins is yet. Um, and then in the inside position has been okay. You know, James Daniels, Cody Whitehair, Sam Mussifer, I don't think they're all pros, but they're certainly not losing you games, I don't think. Or you could look at his decision to roll with Kendall Vildor and Artie Burns and Desmond Trufant next to Jalen Johnson. That has not worked out. That has not worked out, and that's fair criticism. But, I mean, he, he he deserves credit for rebuilding that defense into what was an elite defense with under Vic Fangio for a little bit. He did make the trade to bring in Cleo Mack. Um, the Robert Quinn signing looked awful last year. This year, Robert Quinn is playing like the guy they expected when they signed him to that huge contract. He has got the Pro Bowl locked up, in my opinion, and now it's like, is he going to be an all-pro player? He has drafted great guys like David Montgomery and Khalil Herbert. It's another, you know, young duo, both on their, you know, both very young, and that running back room looks super solid. 
Darnell Mooney looks like a real player. You know, he, he is, he has contributed. He has not been an A plus perfect GM. Nobody is. And the, the criticism is totally fair, totally fair. But I think you do have to separate Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace. Now, again, like Ryan Pace got, um, he hired John Fox. He hired Matt Nagy. Does he get that third coach? Um, same thing with the quarterbacks, right? He's getting a lot of chances. He's gotten a lot of chances, but um, I, I do believe he deserves some credit for the successes that he's had. Now, what is interesting when you say this kind of move him aside, give him a new title, it's kind of interesting. And I wonder if the Bears would consider something like that, like what the White Sox did with Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn, right? Move right. Kenny Williams up bring in Rick Hahn to be the new GM um, because there are things that um, that Ryan Pace has done a very good job of my, I got to have credit to my colleague, Adam Hogue, our colleague, Adam Hogue, who's also on the Inner center podcast. He brings up the great point that one of the things the bears tasked Ryan Pace with doing was completely revamping Hallis hall. And now it's a spectacular uh, center facility. The facilities there are great. And that was something that Ryan Pace did. And you could, you could understand the McCaskey family saying, hey, you did a great job with this. And we're not going to forget about that stuff. You know, um, he did draft Justin Fields, right? I mean, it's easy to say, it's easy to say, oh, well, Justin Fields fell on his lap because the Broncos didn't draft him. The Panthers didn't draft him. This, that, or the other thing. The Lions passed on him. But he also traded up from 20 with the New York Giants. You know, the Giants could have taken him right there. He, he made the move. He's an aggressive guy, and he gets his guys, and he acts with conviction. And to a certain degree, you know, like that, I believe that's a good quality in a GM. If you are convicted and you believe in your player, go get him. And he's done that. Has not, did not work out with Mitchell Trubisky, obviously. Justin Fields... I think we all agree in the short time he's played here looks like the dude. So I, I see both sides of it. The criticism is fair, but at the same time, he's also done some things to really um, turn the franchise around. And then I know it was like, it was kind of a one-off thing, right? It's tough because that 2018 year now feels like a one-off year, but I will say where the franchise is in 2021 going into 2022 is nowhere near where the franchise was when he took over. I, I'll give you, I'll definitely give you that because the team in 2014, I was ready to stop being, to have anything to do with the Bears. And, and you know, I, I was, I was almost done with them at, at, at the end of their year, but yeah, it, you know, they, they turned over things and, you know, they brought, they brought in a, a young you know, vibrant guy for the job. And he's like, you know, I, 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 he definitely got given the credit for what he's done organizationally. And, uh, you know, maybe that means that he will be a decent VP of football operations. But I think they, they, they got to have someone, I think, who is more, a little bit more on the ball, you know, uh, for, you know, maybe that immediate GM position dealing with, you know, the, the road, the roster and dealing with, you know, getting guy, you know, it's great that you get guys in the fifth round and sixth round, but 
let's let's get more guys in the first and second round, and <laughs> you know let's let's uh you know maybe make some some better decisions with the with with the, uh, the money wise and stuff like that and everything, so that we won't have to give up a guy like you know like Kyle uh, Fuller. And just leave ourselves wide open as with the second cornerback position. So, although Kyle you know, Fuller, that that decision to let him go doesn't look like a bad decision to let him walk. Yeah, it's the decision the, to uh, roll with Desmond Trufant and Artie Burns and Kendallville yeah. Door. That's questionable, right? I mean, everybody is skewering him for letting Kyle Fuller walk. Meanwhile, Kyle Fuller and the Broncos also did not work out, and he had his reunion with Vic Fangio. Hmm. So, I mean, again. It's kind of like a, it, it, it's that's a perfect microcosm of he deserves the criticism, but also deserves a little praise at the at the same time at the same time. And it's it's complicated. It's complicated to tease that all apart when you're assessing the guy. I, I wish we just stick to the praise, though, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to be you know, this is, let's stick to the praise. But no, it's, it's cool. Well, I, I definitely appreciate the perspective that you add to it, man. And uh Definitely be glad to have you back on with us anytime, man. Absolutely. This is a ton of fun. Pleasure joining you guys. Thanks for having me. And absolutely, reach back out. I'd love to come back on. Yeah, we definitely talk enough. So we could, we could set something up on definitely on future Monday. So, uh, but yeah, again, you mentioned, you know, we, we mentioned definitely the Undersetter podcast from time to time because I got Kenners on it. But, you know, let people know uh, how they can hear you on that show and uh you know read all your good writing and everything else well you can listen to the understander podcast wherever you listen to podcasts we also have our show on youtube if you'd like to look at my beautiful visage as we talk about bears lions um my stories are also all over mbc sports chicago.com kyle does a fantastic job of editing those and getting them ready for our app the my team's app (laughs) If you don't have the My Teens app, you got to see Kyle's handiwork. It's yes. top notch. My fingerprints are all on it, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then you can follow me on Twitter at Alex Shapiro NBCS at Alex Shapiro NBCS. That's NBC Sports. <laughs> That's right, my man, Alex. Man, great, been great getting to know you, man. I look forward to doing a lot of great work with you, man. And uh, again, man, appreciate you coming on the show. Of course. Thanks again for having me, fellas. And you have a wonderful rest of your evening. You too, you man. Too, man. <laughs> Alex Shapiro blessing us with the insight and knowledge right there. And uh, it drew, man, you know, just uh, 7 o'clock here. We're getting past uh, the top of the hour. Uh, about 15 minutes, we're going to have my man Dave Evans come on. We're going to do a little bit of uh, headlines, you know, stuff talking about some other stuff outside of, of the world of sports. But uh, before before we do that, you know, I gotta gotta do some Bulls talk. Got you on here. Uh, like I said, the Bulls are about to tip off with uh, Charlotte, and that means it's it's the first ever ball bowl uh, with the the Ball brothers facing off uh, here. Uh, you know, Lonzo repping us and. Uh, you know, and, and uh, and what's uh, Mello, we call Lamelo, repping uh, Charlotte, and you know, it's it's funny because uh, now I want to shout out, uh, I shouted out one barber that I had earlier, uh, my man Sean. I got to shout out another guy who's cut 
uh, cut me up in the past, Razor Red, uh, over there in the Tri Taylor area, they had the big, uh, big baller, uh, big baller production. Man, they had a big, uh, a pop up shop with uh, that he helped he helped put on. My my man Razor Red, he cuts a lot of the Bulls uh, players, uh, gives you know shapes them up and stuff, and uh, he helped set up a, a pop up with uh, with none other than than Levar Ball himself. And they had yesterday. I should have went out there, man. I didn't. I didn't make it out there, but uh, it looked pretty cool. I saw some stuff on social media, so I just wanted to shout out Razor for that. Uh, you know, he's like I say, he's doing a lot of big things with the Bulls and and, and other pro athletes in the city, man. So, uh, shout out to him for that. But that's the big that's the big storyline for the day, of course. Lonzo and 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 Lamelo and the Bulls and the Hornets. You know, pretty two teams that have been pleasant surprises starting off with the season. Uh, there's only like a half game between them in the standings. Uh, both teams have 13 wins. I think the uh, shot has nine losses to the Bulls, eight. Um, you know, and, you know if, if, let's just go overall with your take on the Bulls uh, as of late. Like I say, since we last talked, they've been a little shaky. You know, uh, had a couple wins, but the couple of bad losses too. The Houston loss was pretty bad. Uh, no, no matter how you uh, cut it. But uh, the Miami game on Saturday, of course, very competitive, but they didn't, uh, you know, come through in the end with that one. Uh, is a Bulls coming down to earth a little bit more since their immediate start? But uh, still, you know, it's squarely in the middle of things in the East. The East is looking pretty tight overall. Uh, but, you know, what, what are your thoughts on, on the Bulls and how things have played out for them in the past week? Hey, um, kind of like how you said, a little bit of, of coming back to earth, um, maybe some fatigue. You know, they've had a, a brutal schedule, not just in terms of the West Coast trip, but just the amount of games that they've had to play um, yeah. without many rest days or getting many practices in between. Um, the, the Indiana loss, you kind of can excuse that away. Uh, Caruso didn't play. They were coming off the – Emotional high. I think that was the game after New York, if I'm not mistaken, when they beat New York. Um, mm. But the Houston game, man, that's that's right there with them not finding a way to get one of those two against Philadelphia and that home and home they had with the Sixers. Um, especially now that you see that they've they've gone and and ended up losing that game to Miami. It's like one of those games you you're supposed to win. You got to get those games because you don't know how those those contests with those bigger teams that are you know, maybe um, looked at as being better than you are. You don't. You never know how those are gonna go, man. So you got to take care of business against those those lesser teams. The optics, are, the optics are just bad too, because it's like you got a lot of people who probably want to jump and say, "Oh, see, they ain't as good as we as y'all say they is, or, or whatever." But you know, when you lose to a team that had lo- what Houston lost like what fifteen games in a row going into their game. So when you know, and 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 you know, this NBA, you know. Well, they're all pros, and you can't expect a team to lose, you know, that many games in a row without being due. But at the same time, you just don't you don't want to be that team that that uh, lets them see the light, you know, as it were, and, and get a win off you, you know, after all that losing they've done. But uh, but like you say, the Bulls have been dealing with some, you know, some likely fatigue issues. They got uh, you know, they got uh, Nicola back. 
of Vucevic, but you know, he still seems to be working through some things and getting back. But uh, you know, I, I like the way you know they came back on the on the front. The schedule to me was kind of weird too. The just the travel too, like you know, you have uh, actually. I, I, I it was weird. It's, it was weirder when I thought that the Houston game was here, but it actually was in Texas. So they did go. You know, they went south. They went to Texas. Then they went to Orlando, where they had a much better performance on Friday. Uh, they let you know they let uh, Wendell get off quite a bit, but they they. They play, you know, the way that they should have overall in that game. Uh, but then you, you, the right, you have a, you have a back to back when you go from Florida and you play another Florida team instead of playing Miami and Miami, you got to come back to Chicago and play Miami. So that was that's what was weird to be about the schedule last week. But you know, either way, they, you know, they had, a, you know, they were able to compete with Miami, but still some things that. Execution wise, it seemed like there were some issues. Like they were a little bit over dependent on the outside shot against Miami. Uh, there was a lot of talk about zone defenses. Maybe you could you could help me with this. Like you know, what if, if you observed it? Like the zone seemed to work well in keeping the Bulls out of the middle of the paint and being able to make plays and penetrate defense in the way that they kind of do at their best. And also, uh, you know, on a lot of their uh, the transition buckets as well. They didn't. They weren't getting off in the way that we would like to see them get off. Like I said, they were settling for a lot of shoot, a lot of outside shots, and those shots weren't falling. So I think that helped a lot. And they're already not a great defensive, uh, not a great rebounding team on any side. Uh, and you know Miami is Miami. They get they get after you on defense, and you know they play good team defense and they rebound. And that seems to be the stuff that the Bulls cannot fall behind with a, with a good team like that. Yeah. Um, they, they, they tried, they, uh, Donovan used Caruso kind of in the middle of that zone, you know, to, to catch and turn and square up and shoot or hit, you know, spray out to shooters in the corners. Um, that worked a few times. I think the, the thing is like Caruso and Vucevic are probably the two guys that you want to be in that position where they can catch the ball, um, in the heart of the defense and, and, like I said, either be able to turn and face up and shoot or drive to the basket, kick out to the shooters. But for whatever reason, um, we haven't seen that consistent enough. And that's part of the reason why, you know, it's frustrating um, as an observer of this team. But it's, it also kind of weirdly gives you kind of optimism or gives you um, – optimism about where this team can go because these are these are issues that you feel like can be fixed with the amount of talent that they have that they have on these teams or on this team the shot makers between uh DeRozan and Levine Vucevic and, and Kobe White you got to believe eventually these these guys will start to to hit shots especially when I looked it up a couple of days ago 62.7 percent of the shots that Vucevic is taking are open shots so I don't know why they're not going down, why the rhythm has been off. Um, you know, you can blame COVID, but, you know, he had been struggling even before he um, went out for seven games. So, right. I don't know. It's just, it's just, if people aren't respecting, like you said, if he's getting that many open shots, people aren't respecting it. So, he got to make people pay. He got to stop making people pay for that. Absolutely. But, see, I think that even, even if he – if we don't see a, a – kind of a progression to the mean, so to speak, 
um, with his mm. with the uh, shooting. Like I think that um, just the threat. I think he still he still will keep teams honest, which which will still help to space the floor for DeRozan especially and and Levine as well. Um, just based off reputation, even if he continues to struggle a bit, but uh, kind of looking forward, looking ahead. Uh, before this past week, I was kind of in the back of my mind thinking about how if this team continues to play the way that it has been, you know, th- does uh, the front office look to make a, a big swing, you know, by the trade deadline a little bit beforehand to kind of take advantage of the Eastern Conference that looks fairly wide open? I mean, I, I still think at the end of the day, Milwaukee and Brooklyn are probably the, the two best teams in the, in the league, but Brooklyn doesn't look as scary with – Kyrie probably out with the the new variant kind of rearing his ugly head and um, yeah. no no end in sight to New York lifting those restrictions. Uh, Milwaukee's a different beast though. Um, but just they, seeing they're, they're getting back to it. Yeah, yeah, man. They, and, and they picked and they picked up uh, they picked up uh, Demarcus Cousins today, and that was a guy who I looked at as a possible option to upgrade the Bulls, but. But, um, you know, I heard uh, Mark Spears talk about it on ESPN today. And from what he was reporting, like, it seemed like only West Western teams in Milwaukee were the only teams that were really looking at him at the moment. He mentioned Denver as a team that was possibly uh, – that was looking to work him out. or at, They might have actually already worked him out. But, uh, you know, Milwaukee sort of swooped in there and, and got him. And they were their team that you know they like the Bulls needed some uh, some reserves in that in their front line because of uh, the injury with Lopez. So uh, yeah, they they doing what they what they need to do, and but that's on top of like a seven game winning streak that they're on currently. They're getting, like I say, they get back to the buddy as it were. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, and getting Middleton back. You know, they, they were missing some guys earlier on in the season, so things looked a little bit. Um, off from where we all figure they'd be. Um, but getting back to the Bulls, like, they're playing well, you know, this this last stretch, this last four games notwithstanding. Um, mm-hmm. And you want to take and, advantage. And, and look, like, they still on pace for a 50-win season, like, right at the moment, you know. It, it's going to take some bad a, a extended long stretch of play for them to really fall out of playoff contention. So I think as it, as it is right now, let's see how things go. Like you say, going forward over the next week or two, and you know they got this game tonight against a, a Charlotte team who we know can uh, can can put up some points and uh, do a lot of things. So you know, be interested to see how they bounce back tonight, and they got the Knicks again on Thursday. So uh, you know, maybe for next week we'll be able to grade this week and see. You know, maybe they like, picked up a couple of needed wins in in the Eastern Conference against uh, sort of like minded teams. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. We got Brooklyn coming up at two on Saturday. I want to say. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah so, so that's that'll be another nice little test. So, yeah, let's let's see how, how it goes, man. But I, I, I one thing I want to mention though, again, going back to the balls, like. <laughs> <laughs> Pause. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, no, it's, it's, it's interesting to me because uh, a report came out on uh, uh, Block Club Chicago 
they was quoting LeVar saying that he wants all his sons to play on the Bulls eventually. Of course, you know, of course he'll say that. But it, it just makes me think about how like a year, a year, like oh, people were talking about Lonzo going to Chicago for a while. And I, I when that first, when those talks first emerged, I was like, man, what would it really be like to have one of those kids in Chicago with LeVar, you know, because you know he comes with the package. But he's been key for, you know, the, these first few months that we've been involved with with, uh, with Lonzo. And, you know, this weekend was the first time that he really came out and made a scene, any scene of any sort in Chicago. So I wonder if that's going to become more regular, uh, you know, if – you know, we, we know from what happened in L.A. that that could be a bit of an issue when he starts to feel himself, uh, LeVar, that is, and, and really uh, starts to inject himself in things. But, you know, so far it's been working out fine. And, you know, I, I would love to have LaMelo here in Chicago as well. I don't know if they'd have enough balls, uh, again, Paul's in the, in the United Center for both of them to play on the same team. Uh, but... <laughs> You know, it, it, it's just interesting. Like, it's just interesting to be observing how this whole thing has gone, uh, and where we've we've gotten involved with with the Ball family, and it's been relatively peaceful so far. Yeah, one thing I'll say for um, Lamelo and Lonzo, uh, particularly, and even I guess um, Leangelo to another to a certain extent, they don't um. I don't want to say distraction because that's that's their that's their pops, you know what I'm saying? They ride or die for each other no matter what. But for lack of a better word, they don't they don't get distracted by by Lavar's you know uh, statements or his his uh, predictions and just everything that makes Lavar ball Lavar ball. Um, yeah, which is something to say for that. They don't get caught up in it. They just play their game. They do their thing for the most part. Um, so I think it's just it's just a, a, a nice kind of side story to keep following as the season goes on and as those guys' careers um, go on as well. Yeah, I'm and I'm a, I, if if we do another pop up, I'm gonna try to make sure I go to it because I I gotta see if I could get a quote or two from Levar. Yeah. But uh, it's, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see how how he makes a uh, use of the spotlight here, the shot. For sure. For but, sure. Uh, he, de- he definitely will give you a quote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he, he got quotes for days. Yeah, man. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. But, I, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to let you go, though, man, uh, unless you want to stay around for headlines. I don't know, but I know the game is on. Yeah, no, nah, let me – I got to get out of here and try to figure out what I'm eating for dinner, too, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I already figured it out myself before I come on. So I, I tried to figure it out before I come on, so. Smart, so I, if I, at least at least I'll have it ready when I when I get off. But <laughs> I, I feel you though. I feel you. But I, we definitely want you to. Uh, and, and I'm gonna check in, of course, with the game as well after we get off here. But uh, we got a you know plug. I'll plug the show right quick. We got we'll have two episodes of uh, Running with War, our basketball show with me and Drew. Uh, are featured on as well. Uh, Tuesday we'll be on live. And Wednesday will be on live as well uh, with uh, a friend of a friend of Drew's who, who uh, you know got a credit to putting on to the show, Steve Parham, who uh, coaches uh, basketball at uh, at Julian High School. He's going to be uh, on with us on Wednesday. 
We're gonna talk up the uh the prep scene here in Chicago and preview the uh Chicago Elite Classic, uh, which is a showcase, uh, you know, if y'all don't know, great showcase for uh high school talent, not only here in the city, but across the United States is gonna have uh, uh some great teams from uh, uh the Matter Day in California, uh, a couple of the big Nevada schools will be out there in uh, Gonzaga out of DC. So year after year, they produce, they showcase people who you're going to see on the next levels, college and pro. And uh, that's, uh, you know, so we're going to be talking about that on Wednesday. On Tuesday, it's going to be more of a, a conventional show, just catching up on, on things in the NBA and stuff. But uh, yeah, that's going to be what we're going to be doing this week, later this week. And, uh, that's pretty much it. I, I want to uh, shout out again. Uh, you know, we go over the, the other sports in Chicago too. Before you go through, you, have, have you seen the new uh, fire coach? They got a brother. No, uh, fire. Yeah, yeah. This. Uh, let me look right quick. Uh, Ezra Hendrickson is the okay. new fire coach. Okay. Yeah, I did. I heard that, but I didn't even. Okay, that's what's up, man. Yeah, he got a brother, a yeah, brother coaching uh, the fire. <laughs> Talking about franchises that need to change. Hopefully, this will be one in the in the in the right direction for them because they've been having some down yeah. years. Yeah, it looks like looks like they they definitely going. Hopefully, ain't one of those things where you know the brother gets the job after everything is messed up. <laughs> has to clean, has to clean everything up. You know, but, right. <laughs> But it's it's interesting because you got that and you got the Red Stars going to be there. I guess they're currently looking for a coach too because they have to let go of their coach. So, uh, you know, they uh, – yeah, it's interesting. You know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to see if I get someone on to talk soccer with us in mm-hmm. the in the near future. So, uh, that's, that's – you know, the Red Stars just barely came, uh, came up short in winning a championship. Uh, like I say, in the in the the fire are starting pretty much uh in the rebuild. So uh, we'll we'll definitely keep up with that as that goes along as well. But uh, yeah, like I said, I'm gonna let you go, Drew. Man, thanks for coming back on. Appreciate you, man. And uh, we'll, we'll talk soon, man. Absolutely, man. Appreciate you. All right, man. Have a good one. All right, man. You too. Tell Dave I said what's up. Well, hey, you can tell him yourself. We, we get we get on right quick. <laughs> Yeah, you know, good. Yeah, what's up, Drew? Um, up, tying in the uh, Levar Ball, does anybody see King Richard speaking about overbearing fathers or <laughs> overbearing self promoting fathers? I haven't seen it yeah, yet. Yeah, I haven't checked it out yet. Yeah, gotta, yeah, gotta watch it. Okay. Gotta, gotta watch it. You know, Will Smith, whether yeah, you love or hate him, he did a good job as uh, Venus and Serena's dad. Okay, I know I go, our, our guy Josh was talking about it too. I think he. Tweeted out about it, how good it was. Okay, I'm gonna check it out, man. Yeah, Josh did. Yeah, he did say he liked it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, he's you know we award bait for Will. He, he's looking to get in that Oscar conversation this year. So you know, I ain't mad at him. It, it was either and, 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 and this it was, is it's a story worth telling. You know, yeah. Sure. Yeah, it was either him or uh, what's his name, Mikel T. Williamson, Bubba Gump. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you hear. <laughs> He's he does, Shreveport. yeah. He, he's he does favor. He's, he's no, yeah. he's from Shreveport, Louisiana, so he has a real distinct accent. It almost sounds like Eddie yeah. Murphy on like an SNL SNL skit. 
you when you hear you when you hear his accent. Like, <laughs> his real talking voice? Are you talking about Bubba Gump? I'm talking about Richard Williams, like the the accent. Oh, that you're Will talking Smith about Richard. Will, yeah, I, I thought you were talking about. I think talking about Michael. Oh, Williams. no, like, I, sorry. Yeah, Williams. yeah, Richard Williams. Yeah, I'm, yeah, we've I've heard Richard Williams speak. Yeah, but, yeah, it, it, it's yeah. really and, and, unique. Yeah, and and Will Will can't really approximate that as well, but I would imagine there's more to his performance than that. But he did yeah. he 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 did he did a good job. I I, I give him that. He he did a good job. Okay. Yeah, I'm. I'm. A, I'm. I'm probably watching sometime this week. Yeah. 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 All right, y'all. Have a good one, man. How are you too, All right, man. All right, fellas. All right, please. Yep. yep. Drew. Yep. Drew went down to. Drew went down to Marion too for the holiday, man. He said his uh his sister, you know, his sister graduated '95 down in Carverdale. Like She's been there. The whole time since I couldn't imagine being down there that long, but <laughs> I, I love it. Like, no, no diss. I love SIU, but I couldn't imagine I, being there for twenty five years. <laughs> yeah, it, you know it's um. Well, I guess I mean, hey, depends on what lifestyle you're looking for. I mean, who? I mean, yeah, who pretty much. Yeah, I mean, some people find all they need in in their college towns, or you know, other towns that they. Clapping upon, I, you know. You want some action? You I go to St. Louis, <laughs> right? Yeah, St. Louis, man. Yeah, the yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I don't know, uh, yeah, but, but yeah, what I was, I was trying to transition, but, <laughs> but yeah, what, what's going on with you, man? Oh yeah, I mean it's been a you know just getting back in town from uh, the Bay Area, seeing some family up there. Um, you you. Uh, for the whole holiday? Oh, uh, up until Saturday, yeah. I mean, Wednesday, I guess Wednesday through Saturday, yeah. Oh, okay. So, yeah. At least I your aunt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a chance to see my aunt. got a chance to see my grandmother. So, that was nice for at least one day. And got a chance to see SF, you know, the other day. And, um, yeah, it, it's, it, it's a strange place. That's all I can say. It's, it's, <laughs> It's where gentrification and you know poverty and the hood stuff all kind of intersect, uh, is what the, the Bay Area is. Um, so it's the Bay Area. It's nothing. It's yeah. It's no other word. It's I don't know if there's any other place that really exists like the Bay, like the Bay Area. Maybe like Harlem or something like that could be like compared to like maybe like Oakland. Like you could maybe just like make comparisons there. Or you have like gentrification in the old, old, you know, old neighborhood kind of meeting each other, but I don't know anywhere well, else. Well, you know, I've I've just been if we talk about city subcultures, I've just been I've been digging into New York more because of of side talk NYC. I'm trying <laughs> to put you all to it. Yeah, it, it, yeah, that one episode was wild. That's all. I, yeah. <laughs> New York, New York is a real. I mean, it's really, it's really. Like I said, it's really interesting because you have, yeah. I mean, you had the borough. I mean, it's very urbane, but at the same time, you have the people who are in the boroughs, and you know, a lot of things haven't changed. I mean, in some instances, yeah. I mean, it's it's one. I, I read a, it's. I read an article some years back about how sometimes when a lot of college professors and 
academics, you know, from the New York area go out of town, they weren't being taken seriously just because the accent is a very, it's a very distinct thing. It's very, it's a very distinct accent. It's a very hard. It's very like the Brooklyn know. accent or, or Bronx accent. Yeah, all, all of it. I, yeah. I mean, they're really distinct accents, and it so it becomes so it can be a bit of a running joke depending on where you're where you're at. Yeah, I, so well, it, it seems like it seems like it's a place that is very prominent. I think in all of our imaginations, no matter our uh, our connection to it or how many. I often we we may have been there, you know. I've never, I've still never been to New York myself, but I've I, mean, I, just, I feel like I know a lot about it through just intaking a culture, culture. Okay. and things like that. And something like like side like for those who don't know, Side Talk NYC I think started out as a TikTok account, and they it spread out because there's a bunch of videos of just segments of wild New York people yelling and is edited in this very specific way where there's a lot of close-ups and it and it's it's cut there's a lot of quick cuts and, and all the videos are under a minute or around a minute. So it's very it's easily digestible and it's 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 just quick and it comes at you really quick and insane in in, in a lot of ways for lack of a better term. But I, I wanted to play a. I wanted to play an excerpt because they actually bunched up a bunch of their more popular videos, uh, and uh, made like a twenty-minute edit of them. But uh, so I guess I guess because of the the way that people are, are you know getting on getting put on to. Well, I, I'll tell you too how I sort of got put on to them. I think a lot of people uh, got put on to the put on to the videos because they had a video that they put out uh right after the Knicks home opener and there was a game where uh the Knicks won like in double overtime over Boston so it was a very joyous event for Knicks fans because they they won of course and they beat Boston which is like the the most favorite thing for any New York uh sports team to do is beat Boston in anything but you know they they got the they got a bunch of fools coming out of Madison Square Garden just yelling and screaming and talking all type of shit about Boston, but it was the funniest thing, and and I it just got I, it it just caused me I think and a lot of other people to just get into uh the get into those videos and everything. Um, let me just. I think I was this far down uh, with it. Okay, here we go. But uh, yeah, what what are, you, what are your thoughts on the videos? Explicit. Uh, I, I mean, it's like, just a bunch of wild shit. It just it's, it's it reminds me of like it reminds me of what you at least through film what you saw like old New York or like pre gentrified New York. And I mean that's probably what Staten Island is. It's not. It's not a Staten Island is one of those bur- is one of the boroughs that hasn't been. I think you mean Coney Island. Coney Island, sorry, tripping Coney. Yeah, yeah, correct. But Coney, Coney, Staten, Staten, Staten probably a lot Staten, of like that Staten too. too is un is ungentrified. There's it's no yuppies. I mean, it's where the you know the blue all the blue collar workers live. And, yeah. Uh, and this this is the next, <laughs> this is the next video. Oh, yeah. I gotta read this. 
Tom Brady ain't even in Boston anymore. They talk. Trey Young is so good. He's still ain't good at Dyke, man. He's smoking on that Boston. What? <laughs> <laughs> Trey Young, uh, Atlanta Hawk star who beat the Knicks in the playoffs last year. This, this is the Cody Allen crew. Yes, sir. I was feeling thirsty. Your mom gave me a gallon of honey to quench that, you are. It's no snow on the floor. <laughs> He's really skiing the corner on a hard top. What we do with Cody Allen, collect real. Don't we keep it real? Fuck your life. <laughs> he had too many shots. <laughs> on a shot. Hey, yo, Ariana Grande, what's <laughs> up, mama? Come to Cody Allen, take a spin on the cycle. I miss you. Let's see that flip, boy. Yeah. With the yellow phones on. I have seven female wives. Go to my Instagram. What? What do you want to tell Joe Biden right now? Joe Byron. Up, baby. Not Biden, Byron. Hey, yo. This is the Kim what? and Kanye of Coney Allen. And Kim, they got shit on me. Yo, he got his phone in his balls. Steve Jobs did not die for this. If you see these dogs in your front yard, <laughs> just know upstairs I'm going hard. Bing bong. <laughs> Come on, nigga. So we could have saw that shit. Where I remember that one. Yeah. I forgot that was Sally. What's your message to Cuomo right now? Rot in hell, you son of a bitch! Cuomo, you put pineapple okay. on your pizza and you get no pussy! You're next, de Blasio. You're fucking next. You're next. We on your ass, boy. We on your ass, boy. If she say no, you gotta go! <laughs> the Italians don't claim that kid Cuomo. We don't fuck with him. We don't fuck with that kid Cuomo. Get the fuck out of here! We got Trump in the fucking silky. Oh, he is quick. Cuomo, don't you get away with this shit? When I see you, I'm gonna grab you by your fucking neck. We're replacing Cuomo with Bobby Schmurda. <laughs> that was actually awesome. Governor, Bobby for governor. Come on, get your pussy. Come on, get your pussy. Come on, get your pussy. People talk shit. People talk shit about Flint and water. I, I want to know what's in the water. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying, man, it's like it's, it's like if you grow if you grow up there, and you drink the water all your life. It, it's either turning it into must like a mutant if they by the time you get <laughs> the time you get a, a you get to full adult you just, age. It's like you you, you just but, but see well, why you, it's see why like everybody eat a, eat a pencil, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. You see, like everybody in New York is either ready to perform if they're not already a performer. All you gotta do is put a mic in their face and the camera, and they're ready to perform. It's like <laughs> they just every everybody is turned up to a certain degree. And and I know I know a few New Yorkers like and even the after I think about the New Yorkers, I know it's not like you know someone like like a Brandon Robinson. He's not like those people, of course, in that video. But he <laughs> but he is very he he's very you know gregarious as well on his in his own way and he knows how to perform and he knows how to he knows how to be on i, I would say in the, no. in, the, in the way that like a comedian would say that they're being on you know but uh, but those people are just being on to an extent where it's like it's sort of like wow like 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 i told you on that text like i don't i don't like get intimidated easy but i just uh, I don't if you, if you drop me off at Cody Island, I'll be like, man, you know, get exactly. me the hell up out of here, man. You gonna, you gonna put your hoodie on or you gonna keep walking. Yeah. Like, <laughs> if that Byron dude come up on me, y'all. 
It's still like the savage. It's like the savage foes and the savage nomads in twenty twenty one. Yeah, it's like it's, yeah, it's like like Cody Allen got to be like the boss level of New York, like 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 the Warriors. Like if you got to fight through the whole city and get to Cody Allen at the end, and then you defeated New York. Yeah, <laughs> if you can survive yeah. it. Yeah, because the Bronx is gentrified now. They got they, they got parts of the Bronx that's like yeah, and they're trying to gentrify. So yeah, Coney Island is probably the last yeah bastion for you know wild shit. It just I, just know, uh, just untapped uh, New York. <laughs> but if you want to talk about like, but I I don't know. I haven't been. I say so. I haven't been to Coney Island. The only place I've been is Harlem and Manhattan. I think I set foot in Brooklyn. Um. To go to a pizza spot once, but the scariest place I've been probably hasn't been in New York. It's been here in LA. Like it's in like like Skid Row in LA is probably the scariest place I've been. Um, like, yeah, like I don't know. We get our we get kosher. Yeah, there's like an impossible number of homeless in in Skid Row in LA. But right? yeah, but like but you know, of course this is winter, so the sun's going down early, and it's like night of living base heads. I mean, they ain't all cracky, of course. But it's just really scary if you're in Skid Row and, and after like five o'clock. It's like just people walking out in the middle of the street. It's, you know, homeless encampments. How, how, I mean, a lot of the hotels. Close are, how close is it to, yeah, I was saying, how, how close so is the it reason to like. Why the, so are you saying how close is it to me or what are you saying? No, what, how close is it to it, like anything that's popping, anything that's, that like people are going to or anything in there? In the, so it's kind of in an industrial. It's kind of like in a industrial adjacent to an industrial area. Like it's a lot of hotels that are focused just for like homeless people. Um, but I don't know if you know, but like down, it's but that's a lot. But it's a lot of places like that in LA, and people don't tell you about it. Like I, I hate Hollywood for that very reason. Nobody shows what something really looks like. It's like ironically, there's I don't know. I think there's a correlation between how expensive the area is. And what's the percentage of homeless people live there? Like the Bay Area is expensive as fuck. And there are plenty of homeless people. <laughs> like yeah. the whole East Bay, South Bay, West, all it's yes, yeah, just everywhere. And so I think there's a correlation between that and also how dirty an area is, how expensive it is. Because like Chicago is very it's probably the cleanest major metro city. Like, yeah. And that's the whole thing. It's cold. Like when I was home two weeks ago, it's cold as fuck. But it's also clean. Like you walk around, like damn, how clean is it here? Just very. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, somebody I was reading a uh, what, um, what the hell, block club article about like Chicago having the most three one one calls for rats, and out of nationwide. And somebody said, I've been in New York. They probably don't even call three one one for rats because they just used to dealing with them. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, damn. <laughs> yeah, I see. I saw like video of like. You know, because they had those garbage piles in New York and stuff. And, like, I saw someone, like, hit one of them and, a, like, a sea of freaking rats came out. Like, that stuff looked insane. Like, I don't I don't understand how Chicago got more rats than New York. People probably just call 311 more. I mean, I think that's yeah. really – I think I think that's a valid point. I mean, they, they just call 311 more. Because, yeah. I mean, ultimately yeah. – it, probably with COVID, what's happening? I know what's happening at home with a lot of the city workers. A lot of them either, you know, didn't go, go back to work, had injuries, didn't want to get vaccinated, so they didn't want to go back to work. 
So I, I got family that work for the city and they're like, I'm doing as much overtime as I've ever done because we just got a manpower shortage. So I'm pretty sure that same thing's happening in New York. Mm. You know, and they just like saying, fuck it, this is, you know, we used to dealing with this because there's no alleys. Right. And like here right. we have, and here we have alleys, but like, I don't know, Southern California is one of those places that, it, well, California is just, it's one of those places where the homeless people, like, it's kind of like teachers. Like you say, like, yeah, they're important, you know, on TV because that's what get votes. But, you know, in private circles, you'd be like, fuck them niggas. Um, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately, I think that's what <laughs> what happens here. Just because, I mean, yeah, it's it, it's it's insane. I mean, a lot of people argue, well, we got Southern California has more. California in general has more homeless people because weather's better. I'm like, yeah, that's part of the argument. But you got a lot of people that just can't afford the cost of living. And, you know, you got a lot of working poor here. It's kind of like dystopian future, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. So. And where, they, like, like you say, working poor, what people who can't afford to go anywhere else, even though it's too expensive to live there, they can't go anywhere else. It's like, yeah. well, they ain't gonna go. Well, well, they ain't gonna, well, I mean, it's the issue at hand is you know, you can move back. I mean, you can move back east and, and, and freeze to death during the winter. Uh, <laughs> you know, where yeah. the resources may be better because I don't know. It seems. One thing Chicago seems to have better handle of is, you know, maybe just resources. And I think, you know, for, for homeless people, or just for whatever reason, we don't seem to have it. Um, or maybe, or maybe it's just the housing inventory, like shortage. Like you can't, like it's, you know, my day, my day job is, you know, calling apartment building owners, and most of them, you know, they're full. They got wait lists, so they don't really like. They don't have to worry about. Taking housing subsidy programs, you know, have the word they don't take section eight. A lot of them don't want to take section eight. Um, even though the program is real good. I mean, you know, here is better, probably better here than it is in Chicago. Um, just because they have such a back and high demand for housing. So they don't need to. So I'm mm-hmm. sure that if you know, people who can afford to pay rent can't, you know, are having to wait for places or go further out for places and the people who can't the most you know they really are so well but um i know that's what i you know but yeah 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 it's it's rough man i is you really wish that more of a you know more of an effort was done to simp because it seemed like you know it, like with, with like i said with the housing inventory that is a a lot of places are available in in a general sense, like you know, maybe a lot of places you still have to fix up, or you got to make accommodable in a way. But not here. But not not man, not not um, not yeah. In, in Chicago, sure, but not yeah. Here. In, in Chicago, I think in most places, yeah, probably yeah. Actually, you you can speak to L.A., but I think in Chicago is that way, and a lot of places that way. But you know, the effort is. But regardless of that, the effort isn't there to really take care of people. It's like for you know it's just not a priority for most governments at any level it's like just you just gotta fend for yourself and and you know most people who are in those positions are looked down upon you know and it's, it's it's rough man you know i just wish that 
I said we we thought more of you know providing more for more people, but that's not that's that's too much like communism according to most Americans. I you know I think it's too much like I think I don't know if it's too much like people. I think it's too much for like men. I mean, it's a different conversation, but. I think that it, part of the issue is that a lot of our leadership is still male and still, you know, and men really. I, mean, we, I, mean, I, I, I we see what you said. That, that's some crap women out there, too, especially I mean, on yeah, the right. Gotta, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. No, let me correct. But like the, yeah. the like the company, like the, the biggest, one of the biggest like charitable housing uh, groups here is called Skid Row Trust. It's run by a woman. Like a lot of the affordable housing organizations you know, not-for-profit ones are run by women, and you okay, just, like, yeah, see, you see that trend where it's, like, they care. I mean, like, you know, they care, like, men, they're, like, you know, they're all about social Darwinism, and, like, you know. <laughs> I remember I remember seeing, too, like, like on 60 Minutes, there was a, a feature about, like, a, a, a program that was working well in, like, in the Nashville area, and they had a woman on there who was sort of heading that up. Like, they was providing... You know, like say, basically just providing places for homeless people and providing them with the with real resources to get on their feet, not just you know, you know, handouts. It was you know allowing them to get jobs and have, but but a lot of it starts with simply having a place to stay. Oh yeah. And if you can't if you can't have a place to stay, you can't really do shit else to get yourself right. This is true. It's hard to be stable without a home base. I mean, that that is the true words are never spoken. So, yeah, mm-hmm. um, you know, but it, uh, yes, it's yeah, fortunate state of things. Um, but, but I, was, I, was, uh, I was gonna, yeah, I was gonna let let you go off, man. If you got anything that come to mind, I, I definitely wanted to talk about Virgil Abloh before we right. go off. Yeah, but, no, no, no. Uh, I don't know if yeah, anything but, else. Oh, 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 first, I want first I want to mention this whole thing because. Again, I'm still thinking about side talk. I'm thinking about the Joe Byron guy, but oh, the jo- yeah, but I want yeah, yeah, I want yeah, I want to bring up this Brandon. thing about Joe Biden. Yeah, uh, <laughs> let's go, Brandon. This let's go, Brandon thing, and and this is wild. This make, this actually makes me feel good because I'm not getting <laughs> the sort. I'm not in the circle, or I, I don't have people in my circle. Nor am I getting the type of content online that would allow me to be up on this stuff. I just found out about this today and I found out about it indirectly because I watch wrestling, which, you know, is, is its own, <laughs> its own uh, failing of mine. But, but th- this, this phrase, let's go Brandon actually was mentioned on a wrestling show this past Friday. And I read a, and I read a post about uh, the announcer on the shows has, has said, like, cause there was a chant in the audience during the show, and the announcer on the show was like, "Are they saying let's go, Brandon?" And then I saw, <laughs> I saw that uh, it's Pat McAfee for anyone anyone who watches who knows what I'm talking about. But uh, it, but apparently he said that on the show, and people were up, and I and I read something that said that people were up in arms about that, and I'm like, why are people up in arms about? Him mentioning "Let's Go, Brandon," but then I, I, <laughs> I did, did a Google search, of course, which is you know, what Google's for, and I find this piece on "Let's" on the origins of this phrase, and apparently it stems from another uh, good old uh, sporting event called uh, NASCAR, 
where um, this 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 NASCAR driver named Brandon. Uh, let me let me look this up. Uh, Brandon something. I got to open the story. But uh, the okay, yeah, it started on October second NASCAR race at the Talladega Super Speedway in Alabama. Brandon Brown. This is a court. This is a uh, the AP. I'm quoting. Brandon Brown, a 28-year-old driver, had won his first Xfinity Series and was being interviewed by NBC Sports reporter. The crowd behind him was chanting something at first difficult to make out. The reporter suggested that they were chanting, let's go, Brandon, to cheer the driver, but it became increasingly clear that they were saying, fuck Joe Biden. <laughs> so this is, a, no, to be expected, a NASCAR audience, Talladega Speedway, that's in Alabama, not a lot of Joe pro Joe Biden people there <laughs> and they let themselves be known. And because of, because of this innocuous thing that the broadcaster did trying to clean up the, the behavior that he couldn't control, it has be, become this rallying thing for conservatives and they made it, they put all, t put it on all types of uh, posters and sheets and stuff. And, the, you know, a lot of these goofy uh, Republican, uh, uh, you know, politicians yeah, have, have uh, yeah. Ted Cruz and, you know, and the likes of, uh, you know, send them, uh, Mitch McConnell has retweet, retweeted a photo with the phrase and, you know, they've gravitated it towards it because it's a way for them to to say F Joe Biden without saying actually saying it. And, it's, you know, it, it's, it's kind of funny to me because. We we went from the Obama administration, and I maintain at the time definitely that Obama was the most uh, uh, disrespected uh, president while in office that there's ever been. But you know, Trump may have surpassed that, but he actually deserved the disrespect that he got. I would say, you know, a lot some people ridicule. Oh, I mean, I think it was more ridicule. Yeah, it seems like. Well, he, he he was definitely ridiculed. But I'm saying, like, we did. You know, people did out and out just, like, say, gave him disrespect, but yeah. he but he mostly deserved it. Right. And whereas Obama didn't really deserve any of the treatment that he got from people who opposed him, and you know, that's that's sort of the 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 the. the differing edges of the sword as it were but you know the good thing about this ap post that uh that i'm citing uh reading from is that it, it gave it gives you some history of uh ways that presidents have been uh disrespected throughout history <laughs> and it's kind of it's, it's kind of funny it it's, I, I didn't i didn't go yeah, you read, all of it. yeah look, at, go look all of it. at it it's if you if uh, you could say uh you could look at it online it says is the the title is uh, the headline is how let's go. Brandon became cold for insulting Joe Biden is, uh, on AP. But uh, yeah, this, this is probably the coolest part about this story is that is the history it gives. And it shows that how, how uh, little we've come as, as a society, how, how little we've evolved as a society in regards to pilot, the way we relate to politicians. Cause uh, like it, it cites uh, Grover Cleveland, uh, in the 1880s, faced chants of "Ma, Ma, where's my pa?" because of rumors that he had fathered an illegitimate child. <laughs> so he'd, he'd go out in public, and people would would 
basically teased him for being a, a deadbeat daddy that they thought being a deadbeat daddy. And, uh, you know, Thomas Jefferson and Andrew Jackson were the subject of poems that lead into racist tropes and allegations of bigamy. So I, I'm, I'm sure Je- Jefferson got a lot of stuff about uh, how he was carrying on with Sally Hemings. So <laughs> if, 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 if it was today, you know, it'd be a lot more. Uh, uh, I wonder how, you know, the stuff would have been handled if, if the media was a bit different, uh, you know, more advanced. But they, they had to deal with poems back then, uh, libelous well, poems. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it, but it's just, it's, you know, there's always been these sorts of things that have happened. And, you know, that, that, the, the story also, you know, really the turning point, I think, was Trump and the way that he sort of debased public, uh, you know, the way that we talked about presidents, the way that presidents talked to us in public. Because, you know, no president before him really talked to the public or the media the way that he did. He he cursed freely at times in a way that no, no president has. And, you know, some people may be like, well, it's just words and stuff. But I think it makes a difference in the way that, you know, if, if you're going to be the leader of our country and our society. Act presidential. Yeah, act presidential. Act like that leader and not be not act to the lowest common denominator. And it seems like we've reached a, a place that we we can't necessarily go back from. But you know Biden in the in a way has stabilized things because of his lack of controversy and his overall, you know, sort of white breadness. <laughs> so you know he he doesn't bring with him if he was the if he was the democratic version of Trump, then maybe he'd be getting straight up F Joe Biden chance. But because Biden is who he is, he can only get the let's go Brandon chance. Part of that too is because the Republicans are corny. And (laughs) but 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 they can't but they can't they can't overshoot the disrespect in the way because if they if they were out there I think if they were out there being like F Joe Biden it wouldn't make any sense because Biden isn't giving them that same energy back. Well, I think the issue at hand is that people, and I use that term lightly, always try to find clever code words to do, sure. you know, welfare queen. I, I mean, and not saying it's the same as welfare queen. I just think it's this code, you know, they always try well, yeah, to Yeah, yeah, uh, the history and, of... Yeah. And I think that's um, more important than like the slander yeah. and the presidents is just the interesting ways they try to figure the, the quote unquote clever ways they try to figure out how to, you know, be rude or disrespectful. I mean, and they figured out. Yeah, they but, but be, they say doing it on the low, though. Yeah. Right. Doing it on the low. That's and all, yeah, control yeah. it. Control the narrative with by doing that. Right. I, and I think that's the thing, you know, it's like, so, you know, it's. It's their way of being able to, you know, be disrespectful, but do it in a, you know, I guess under table, under, you know, way, so covert yeah. way. And I think that's the biggest, I think. A more civil way. A civil way. I, well, civil, right. Well, well, yeah, but um, yeah, more civil way. And I think that's just their way of just trying to be clever to do so. Um, yeah. You know, but again, again, that wasn't afforded in a lot of ways to Obama because Ob- Obama just got, <laughs> he got the shouts of liar and, and 
in the uh, in the Congress and all, uh, you got the yeah. the, the Muslim Antichrist sides well, and all that. Yeah, no, I you know, and the irony of it is, is the irony. Of, they, 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 I mean, I don't even know. Bringing that up always just because the thing is, he's done more. I mean, we all love. I mean, well, Obama being one of our most articulate presidents and you know, polished presidents and has definitely done some great things. His, you know, campaigns as far as bombing Muslim countries was probably off the charts. It's really funny. It's like, it's kind of like being a person. It's, in a lot of, but in a lot of ways. And, and, was, and, they, it, and they was maligned and it was manipulated <laughs> in a way to say like, oh no, this guy is, has some, you know, he, he has some Muslim origin. And I'm like, you Backwards motherfucker, backwards people. You're, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, you know, you're, you're subverting the story, and I think that's what Republicans have always been adept in, is being. And it was a way for them to hide. It was a way for them to, like, like, you know, the term gaslighter, of course, becomes huh. uh, popular during the Obama presidency because they're giving us overt racism, but they're trying to say it's something else. It's not. Like, it's not. We're not being racist. We're we're uh, speaking to something else that worries us. We're, but in actuality, it was simply his race. Oh well, yeah, I mean they were using pa- I, they were using patriotism as I mean patriotism is always used as a false cover for ugly acts. Yeah, I mean the same way religion is used as a as a cover for for you know vile acts for a lot for in a lot of instances, and I think that that's. I think the thing with Republicans is they, I guess they've tried to become more clever in the way they hide being dirty. And I think really the reason why they had to do it, the reason why they couldn't be as disrespectful to uh, as they to Biden as they could be Obama, even though they may want to, and maybe the vitriol is even in some cases higher because you know one their guy lost is because of January sixth. I mean, after you mm. do, after you're involved in something as shameful as January sixth. Like what you you have to be, I think you have to be a little bit more cautious in the way you move. That's I a mean, good point. That's a good I mean, point. that's a treason. I'm like, that's the most treasonous act in American history since <laughs> you know <laughs> the Civil War, and yeah. you know since the South, you know, attempt to succeed from the union from the union in the Civil War, and yeah, so you gotta watch the way you move. I'm like, you can't be like. I'm pretty sure they'd be trying to come out. Biden even harder if that wasn't the case. If January sixth yeah. didn't exist, because it because it, it, it raised the stakes. Because it's it's not just polit- after January sixth. We're not just talking about political theater. We're just ta- we're talking literally about the future of democracy and the potential overtaking of the of the government. It you no, know, it is it's a reality. I think before January sixth, a lot of people will be like, "Oh, that can't happen." It's you know it, it's enough protecting us, enough protecting the capital, but we saw just how out in the open the capital could be to these knuckleheads and these these crazy folk if they wanted to organize and and put something together that overthrows our way of life as as we come to understand. Yeah, and I, yeah, agree, and I think so. I think that's the reason why anything they're being the, the Republicans are being a little bit more. Trying to be a little bit more covert or clever with the way that they show that they rebel. Well, that's a good. That's a good point. I, I, yeah, I didn't. I don't. Think I, don't I don't think they're doing it just so they can. They can, you know, be prim and proper, or you know, just not outright disrespectful. I don't. 
But, that, but, but, but my, my point was more so that they they didn't give it to Biden because Biden doesn't fuel them enough in certain ways, you know. And Trump, I, Trump, I, I I still think of that, but but I, I think your point probably is more. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say Trump is poisoning people. Trump, listen, Trump, Trump and his, you know, acolytes have made has framed the Democratic Party or parts of the Democratic Party as this child molesting cabal of Hollywood elites. <laughs> Trump did, like they they tried to make they they tried to tie Biden's son, you know, to every you know. Uh, to having just improper business deals, and then also yeah. Trump, um, Biden being, you know, they're gonna give, they're gonna give, they're gonna let China in the back door and, and let, like they try all take types, over the country. They try all types of wild stuff, but yeah. ultimately, when the, you know, when January six happened, the bucks kind of stopped there. I think they had to be kind of reset because ultimately their main player had went off the reservation. Yeah. And you know the, the guys that went with him, you know, they, they, to, to put it in perspective for you, they for, if they were the nation of Islam, the if the Republican Party was the nation of Islam, the, the Trump supporters would be the New Jersey mosque. I mean, <laughs> that would be the ones that kid the, the the mosque that essentially defied Elijah Muhammad and went through with the hit of Malcolm X. Yeah. I mean, sorry. I know that's a rant. I know that's a wild analogy, but that's it. <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of timely too, given the because uh, that's something we I, we I was kind of what wavering on bringing up, but with the uh, the 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 gentleman who who been let off, uh, one of them uh, posthumously, uh, one of them posthumously, and the one that yeah. still alive at eighty three, uh, yeah. exonerated exonerated from the charges. Yeah. Of, yeah, killing uh Malcolm. Yeah. I, I yeah, I mean, I think it's just sad with anything with these men. I mean, like that's like the case with you know what's going on in Angola right now, where you got these guys who've been on the on the road, well not on the road, but who've been in jail for fifty plus fifty fifty plus years because they copped a plea that was and they were only supposed to get ten years, and many of them still stuck. And you got dudes that went in at nineteen, coming out at seventy four. Mm. And that, yeah, there's a guy too in in, uh, in Missouri who just got let out after being wrong in prison for 40 years on a murder charge. Well, for, yeah, 43 years. Yeah, I mean, you listen and you look at these things, and I'm like, this, like, this should tell you that our system is has is deeply flawed. And a lot mm -hmm. of times, like the greatest miscarriage of justice, and, and it happens. It, it definitely happens in like democratic states, but it seems like. The guys in you know Republican states, they're just always trying to double down. They're like, yeah, mm -hmm. we, we, we fucked up 40, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Well, you know, we're still a law and order state. And they don't, I mean, right. that's them, that's the key. That's the key. You gotta be tough on on uh, crime. You gotta be you gotta be project that you're a law and order state, that, that you don't you don't play that mess in your area. I, yeah, I mean, but I don't, but but I think really what's more important is that what a lot of people don't look at is, as, as David Simon always said, you got to follow the money. You can't mm. dismantle, you can't dismantle prisons because it just takes out too many jobs. And many southern states, many southern cities, that that's a big part of the economy. 
They, they, a lot of a lot of it's the only economy. Yeah. Exactly. So you letting all these dudes out of jail, whether they've been you know wrongfully imprisoned or not, you taking away jobs. You're taking away federal and state funding, and you know and that determines on who can be hired next year. Mm. Who can who can keep their jobs? And that and for them, that's that's the, that's their mindset. Yeah, definitely. it's 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 a rough system. That's, there's a show. There's a show that's uh, just come out of, about that called uh, Mayor of Kingstown. I'm thinking about checking out as we talk about uh, streaming stuff. That's the uh, I saw this on Paramount Plus, but it's I think it's actually uh, on the Paramount channel as well. I think the the uh, the cable channel, but it's got a uh, my man uh, uh, Jeremy Renner in it. Uh, he and he's he's like the move, the head mover and shaker. He's not a literal mayor, but he's like uh, deemed the mayor of this town where the uh, that is completely dependent on is prison. Uh, that that's within it and everything. And so that, yeah. that, that seems to be pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, but I think yeah, and I, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to kind of see the dynamics of that. Like, I mean. I think that's the biggest. I think that's the biggest challenge. You know, I think when America has to come to terms with, we talk about reparations for slavery. We talk about reparations for these dudes whose lives you stole, and then we yeah. and then we can get to slavery. I'm it like, happens. <laughs> it, it happens. It, it keeps all happening. Yeah. I mean, you know, we we have to we have to we have to resol- we have to resolve the wrongs of the pre- of the pre- of the recent past. Or we can get back to you know slavery to the you know, not not the far past but the further along past. Yeah, I think that's Definitely. that's really important. Um, but yeah, I, but yeah, but yeah, but yeah, let's 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 wrap it up though, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, except before we go, I, I Virgil definitely want to uh, talk about Virgil Abloh and uh, uh, you know, first you know just uh, you know, RIP to him and uh, acknowledge his passing uh, of. I learned uh, last night that you know he he has suffered the cancer that he suffered from was like a, a, a rare kind of cancer to do with the heart, and um, you know he passes at the age of forty one. You know he's just born in nineteen eighty, so he's a very much a, a you know a, a, a <laughs> David left. Hope he uh, left the uh, session for some reason. Or, Hope we could get back on, but uh, uh, so let me just continue. Uh, very much a, uh, a, a Virgil Abloh, of course, very much a, a person of our generation, a person who made a lot of impact in culture and fashion. Okay, here we go. Get Dave back on. Yeah, uh, I say, uh, yeah. But I was just saying, uh, yeah, Virgil Abloh, very much a, a, a person of our generation, a. a and a person who, you know, in a in a quick in a lot of in a short time made a, a great impact on culture and fashion and design, and um, it's it, it becomes one of those stories now where, you know, you sort of you sort of see in in retrospect why the why this guy moved the way that he moved and did the things that he did took the risks that he took because you know he he kind of knew at a certain point. I think it was uh, about two years ago we got this this uh, uh, this diagnosis that uh, he wasn't going to be around for much longer, 
and uh, he wasn't going to live a long life. And, you know, he he utilized his time when he was here to a great degree to influence a lot of people. Uh, so many people have come out on social media in the in the past day or so and of, uh, you know, just whether they, you know, people who didn't know him at all, but a lot of people who did know him, especially here in Chicago, uh, you know, he was originally from Rockford and, uh, you know, uh, his home base, May Chicago, his home base. And, uh, you know, he, of course, a lot of people know him from his connection and relationship with Kanye West. But he was really connected to a lot of people here in Chicago, designers and movers and shakers, and really was sort of at the head of this class of creators and, and doers, young people of our age and, and thereabouts here in Chicago who were really making changes in, in, in our city and throughout the world. So he gets a lot of respect from from me just for for that. I think I know while while he was here, me and you, uh, you know, because you you probably the person I primarily talked about to about talked about him with, and um, you know, I know from time to time we would sort of make fun, uh, make fun of some of uh, uh some of the things he did on the on the fashion. Not that me and you are fashion experts of any kind. But you know he, like I said, he did take some risks with certain things that he did. But you know, when you think of Off White and the the things when that when Off White first came out, how much of a game changer it was, and when he first got involved with Nike and the sort of deconstruction that he did uh, with their branding and their design. You know, it was really a game, like I said, a game changer and something that really broke out uh, a, a lot of uh, what street fashion, you know, sort of, a, you know, it, it wasn't nothing like it in, in that in that area of fashion. And it made him into a star and a guy who, you know, just blew up, you know, to become the, I guess, what the head of, uh, of uh, was it? I forget the uh, LV LVMH Louis Vuitton. Yeah, Louis Vuitton. I see. I'm thinking of the exact title, but yeah, but yeah, Louis Vuitton and all that. You know, you know, brother Larry Legend on on Twitter made mention though, sort of plainly, like you know, to go from Rockford to that, like it's something that we're never going to see again. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that sentiment. I think of anything, I mean, one he's second gen one he's second generation uh Ghanaian immigrant and the irony yeah. of well, the irony of him being a creative designer as a Ghanaian immigrant to, you know, for a French brand and the French have a, a history of being racist towards Africans, um, you know, mm. African immigrants in general. I just think that irony has to tickle his parents. I'm sure if they you <laughs> know they because traditionally, you know, the, the the French treat the North Africans, any you know, the Arab, most Arab, you know, Africans, they treat them like shit. So the yeah, irony, completely, the, they were the, it, the biggest colonizers of that area. Well, I mean, just in France, France in general. I mean, the ones that live in France, they treat them like shit. I mean, yeah. you know, but I say that stems that stems from the from relationship of them colonizing the the continent. Oh, mo- most and and those, and those people, yeah, those people came. Like I say, they go into France and seek better lives, and they, like you say, they be treated like they were treated. Yeah, yeah, and I so I just want. I'm just pretty sure, like maybe he may have not understood like the irony of it, but I'm pretty sure his parents understood like the irony 
of it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, to just the to be able to to be to you know come from you know to your point like Rockford and then to ultimately one have your own brand and ultimately have creative you know director for Louis Vuitton and for them to you know invest in a you know significant ownership stake in it and to your mm-hmm. point like his cultural significance there for you know just for what he's been, you know brought to Nike you know being able to have these deconstructed shoes and to have the essentially you know, multiplying value as soon as they're sold. I think that really speaks something. I'm like, you know, from a stylistic stand, aesthetic standpoint, it was definitely not my, you know, my choice. Uh, but I do finally understand why he worked like he did and also understand, you know, why he worked at the pace that he did and why he mm-hmm. was probably a little bit more fearless in putting out mm-hmm. designs and putting out concepts knowing he, that he was working with a limited clock. Um, exactly. Yeah, because you don't. It, it, it takes. Yeah, but I, it, it, right, right. I'll just say like it ties him into because there was a an image that a lot of people were posting up of him with Chadwick Boseman, and you know, and Boseman's uh, birthday is either t- today or yesterday. His what was his forty fifth birthday? So that was that's really a, a parallel situation there where Chadwick again. He was diagnosed with this with his terminal illness, and he knew he didn't have much time to go as well. And he put into his last times, his last years on Earth, a lot of work, and did a lot of big things, including you know the Black Panther and the Marvel stuff, but also stuff like the you know Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and and these significant works that are gonna live on for a long time and. And uh, you know, it, it's it's amazing just to be in that position. I just can't imagine, you know, what it is, you know, what how I would feel to have to stare down death and try to make the most of the of knowing of of any anybody the short term, whatever it is, yeah, a year, yeah, six, right. six months, two years, I mean, whatever it is, like, just to know that that finish line is right ahead of you. It's it's, it's amazing the wherewithal that those those guys show. Well, yeah, I mean, and the and the, and the and the willingness to think for the future and think for so many others as as beyond themselves. Well, yeah, and I think more than anything, it seems like once they, you know, to be content, to be to to utilize to maximize the time you have left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think definitely. that's yeah. Yeah, I put I, I put uh I, I got I put my man Jay Dilla in that category too. He was in a similar position when yeah, you know him Keith him Keith Herring. I mean Keith Herring, I'm pretty sure yeah. like yeah, you know, like once they knew they you know their time was limited, they just you know doubled down and put the work in. It's it's really I it made me, you know, and it made me have a um I don't know, what is it, kind of be uh, it's cognizant of what to be grateful for. Like I saw that, yeah. like I saw that message on IG, and sometimes we kind of get limited on what we don't have, or folks on what we don't have versus what we do have. And I think you know, once I you know got that saw that message or that post on IG, it made me pause and really reflect on what I do have. Um, and I think that's something that's you know, if anything, his passing should do is one, let you know that time is a promise, and two, you know, reflect on what you do have. 
Because a lot of the things that we, you know, tend to do is that, and and then also to know that when people are, you know, people's artistic, you know, whether you agree with their artistic vision or not, it's, they're, 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 I mean, they're creating, right? I mean, they're creating something that you, without art, there'd be nothing to critique. And I think that's something that we have to be cognizant of. Um, Yeah. Yeah, you know, whether it's whether whether you agree with it or not, I mean, there's no, yeah, I'm like, you can look at you know, I wouldn't even, I would have never, I mean, outside of his clothing work with Louis Vuitton, and without his, you know, like the shirts for off brand, off white, I don't think what what he's he done with Nike, I don't think anybody else would have probably envisioned, you know, going to you know, the, you know, re-releasing of Nike. Jordan's, you know, Jordan's and his classic shoes and, and putting that approach on it. Uh, so if any, if nothing else, I can look back and say, hey, you know what? He made us, you know, look at how you can, you know, design a shoe in a very different way than we would have ever thought. And I'm pretty yeah. sure that, I mean, and there are people like Kanye who've tried to like push the envelope on the way we conceptualize sneakers. But I think he really created, you know, changed the paradigm in a way that no other shoe designer has. Um, and so for him, that hats off to that. Whether I, you know, hats off for everything he's done. Right. Whether never, yeah, whether whether you actually wear the stuff or not. Well yeah, I don't I don't wear I would yeah. like I mean, you know, like his shoe, I mean, if it wasn't my wherewithal, I don't I wouldn't necessarily it's not a shoe that I would necessarily make the investment in buying. But at the same time, I'm happy that it exists because it's like that's something that's a different take on a shoe that you have never seen anybody else, you know, probably, you know, put out, at least in mass production. And and, and expanding out to sort of the more multimedia things that he did in regards to, you know, some, you know, he he dabbled in some video and some, uh, you know, imagery and various images. He did quite a few uh, album covers and stuff for people as well he 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 maintained a, a real connection you know and, and and part of it you know is is you know you get to a certain point you can hobnob and do things with people but you know he he made you know he kept the hip-hop in a lot of ways with regards to his connections and he he kept a certain level of of uh trueness to like say hip-hop culture and and chicago and you know that those those big coats with the Chicago skyline that he he put out uh, in uh in Paris, like you know, it's again, it's something that uh, I wouldn't necessarily wear, but you can you can imagine where he was inspired, how he was inspired, and what he was inspired by, and what he was yeah. trying to get across by doing yeah, stuff I, like that. Yeah, and I, and I and I say if, so. I think you know, operating operating in a space. There's a certain you can't you can't I, I, operating in, in you know New York Fashion Week and in Paris and Milan also you can't create unfortunately fortunately or unfortunately you have to create clothes that push the envelope and so I you know you're not going to create anything that's I won't consider you know functional everyday wear or pop or you know popular design you're gonna wear something that pushes the envelope i mean it's it's kind of like you don't go to a michelin star restaurant asking you know expecting to get a regular hamburger you can get a hamburger yeah. with some 
some weird stuff on it. Yeah, it's gonna be you know, it's gonna be you know, foie gras. It's gonna be something different. And you're gonna hammer, you know, something. Something. Yeah, execu- a certain level of execution has to be. That, yeah, it's gonna be some part, some some panache, some flair that wouldn't exist in a traditional environment. That yeah. you don't go to those, you don't go to those places, you don't go to work in those environments without the intent of being different. Um, and I think that's what really was his, you know, and that's so. Yeah, I'm not going to understand him. I mean, I mean, I'm not going to understand his art. I won't. I'm not the person who's going to understand his artistic vision. Um, I can, you know, regardless of it, I respect where you, you can respect where some what somebody's been able to achieve, whether you can understand it or not, because you do understand yeah. the cultural significance of it. You do understand that traditionally fashion houses are inherently exclusive. And traditionally, black and brown people don't make it past being models at best. Yeah. Um, and, and, and everything about them is Eurocentric. To well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah it's super, super skinny, gender, gender neutral looking. Even if they are women, you know, traditionally they come. Most black models you see in high fashion are from African countries. I mean, they're not a lot of. That's primarily just kind of the way it is. I mean, the Europe has a fetish with black skin, so <laughs> you're not gonna. So yes, yeah, so to have a guy from Chicago come and be, you know, be a part of that conversation is definitely, um, I, I it's definitely meaningful. Um, I really wonder, it's you know, especially with the movie, it was the House of Gucci that just came out. It really, it, you know, I'm wondering if those guys, and I'm pretty sure most of them are dead or advanced to age right now i wonder if they would have you know if they could have been if they were alive they would have you know what they would have thought seeing black faces in control or having more creative control and what Mm. fashion in paris and you know milan looked like um because you know of course back then and up until recently it was unthinkable um definitely definitely so i I mean i so so for nothing else the man was a trailblazer and he's a trailblazer in a short period of time multi-talented um you know he left a family which being able to kind of work and to be able to put that amount of content out and have a family too uh is definitely a, a skill in itself i think it's really i mean not to not to not to knock anybody who's single but when you have a family and you have a young family to be able to produce content and it becomes a lot harder um you know and that's, so i think that's really impressive um, you know, but condolences to his family and I hopefully he's, you know, shine a light or open some doors to some other, you know, people in you know, black people in the fashion space or aspiring to be in the fashion space. And hopefully it'll it uh, hopefully open some barriers some for some people who are not connected. Because I mean the other part of it is yeah. he was connected. I mean, you know, I mean he he, he, he he got he worked to get himself connected too. Right. I mean, yeah. I, yeah. I, I think I think he definitely influenced many people who are gonna, you know, in their own way, uh, change or you know, p- uh, help progress uh, those areas of, of fashion and design going forward that he touched on. So I just hope he, oh, I, I just hope his presence opens doors because you know, and I, the only reason I mention that is because I think that what ends up happening, you know, in these in these spaces that are traditionally just accessible to a certain type of person they they're you know they're always outliers there's always these people who've been able to overcome 
obstacles and you know or just been really unique and then yeah. that's all you have them being yeah. you know being in the you know my in my space i don't see a lot of people that look like me um and probably unless in the fashion space probably i know already exists so hopefully he opens some doors so hopefully his passing or his presence you know will open some doors to some people who are not connected to be able to you know who have a drive and who have a vision and think they can compete and you know have compete in those spaces can, to open some doors for them because i think that's I think that's what's really important. I mean, I think the shame would be he passed and then no one else that looks like Virgil, whether it's a woman, um, you know, or, you know, whether it's another minority is able to come in that space because that would be the true shame of his death. Um, You know, and that's up to, you know, the Louis Vuittons and the other, you know, the Italian fashion houses to be able to, you know, continue, continue that uh, just, you know, to be more inclusive. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely, and we definitely uh, hope for hope for the better, uh, hope for the the best in that in that regard. But uh, yeah, like I say, shout out to uh, you know, definitely rest in peace and condolences to uh, uh, Virgil Abloh and uh, like I say, all his, his family and uh, all those who were affected by his his life and his legacy. You know, definitely uh, a lot of people uh, have shown to the uh, to be in in that group, you know, over the past day or so. But uh, we gonna wrap up on that regard. Uh, Dave, man, appreciate you uh, chopping it up with me again this week. Uh, we we'll probably do, yeah, we we'll probably do this again. Uh, do it again one, uh, probably one more time uh, on a Monday uh, before the end of the year. But we got our uh, in the building show. Uh, we did we did a. Uh, uh, had a return about uh, yeah, about two weeks ago, uh, and this week we uh, look to have another show on uh, this Thursday. Actually, uh, uh, going to announce our our guests this week uh, is expected to be the abst- the group Abstract Mind State. Uh, if you don't know about Chicago hip hop, they're pretty uh, you know pretty significant group in the uh, the independent scene uh, from Chicago. And they put out an album this year. We talked about uh, Virgil and Kanye a little earlier, and Kanye West actually produced the last album that Abstract Minds they put out earlier this year. Uh, it was a pretty great album, actually, and uh, made some made some noise, sort of in the late summer. Sort of, uh, it actually came out around the time that Donda did, which uh, was unfortunate because it sort of sucked up. A lot of the 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 oxygen that uh, the abstract mind state album had, but but it it I definitely definitely you know recommend you listen to that album because it has Kanye West in a definitely a retro mind state that the more along the lines you know like I said he produced the whole album all the beats on the album he did and you know it got it got some attention for that alone some some. Um, overall media attention for that alone when it came out but you know more the attention went towards his own antics and and his release of Donda right after that but uh the album is great and uh these these two really two uh interesting artists uh in that group they got a, a great story of their own of how they you know sort of came up in hip-hop then they you know 
sort of stopped working for a while uh, as artists and then sort of got back together and, and made this this project reunion project and they got of course Kanye to to back it and and release it under his uh Yeezy sound label and you know one of the one of the better stories in music all year I would say and uh we got like I said we'll have them on the show this Thursday uh we'll be talking to them ahead of a a show that they're going to be doing at the Promontory, uh, actually uh, opening up for Slum Village, the uh, the great group out of Detroit, and um, yeah, that's we definitely look forward to that. That's going to be this Thursday. Uh, I'm not sure the exact time yet, but uh, definitely follow uh, War Media and everything on uh, YouTube, and you'll get a you'll get an advance notice of the. Uh, when we go live on Thursday, we'll have that, uh, like I said, we'll add that information for you on YouTube as well as, uh, uh, you know, Twitter and all that. We'll uh, have uh, the information available on our social media platforms. But that is this Thursday. Going back to In the Building, me and Dave uh, interview, uh, exclusive interviews on In the Building. And uh, all here on Monday Night Means, we'll get together every now and then and I say just talk things over, talk over the latest and in, in headlines and stuff like that. So that's my man, Dave. Uh, you can definitely uh, catch him out and about in LA. <laughs> if if not on these online streets, he, uh, he's out there in LA doing his thing. And uh, me, uh, I'm on uh, Twitter on under means matters and the uh, IG under K me and uh, definitely war media. Anything you see war media, I'm behind that. So uh, you can, uh, you know, reach out th- through that way as well at War Media on Twitter, uh, s- s- IG or Insta- uh, or Facebook. And uh, anything else you want to say, Dave, before we wrap up? No, nope. we'll see you on Thursday. Yeah, yeah, we're going to, should be a good one, man. We're going to have fun on this, on this upcoming show Thursday. So definitely abstract mind state on in the building with me and Dave. Uh, check it out live if you want to uh build with this with this cool uh chicago group and uh you know ask them any questions about kanye we'll definitely have our own questions about kanye and, and the process that they had in making this album uh but uh if you got your own questions you know get on live with us and uh, ask them yourself but uh if not if you can't get on live you know check us out whatever on youtube uh and on uh, Anchor Doc, Anchor FM as well on my podcast, where you could also listen to this. Uh, so uh, that's it for now, though. Enjoy your Monday, rest of your Monday as is as is playing out. Enjoy the rest of y'all week, and again, get up with us on Thursday. All right, all right, all right. Talk to you later.